live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? Hope your Memorial Day holiday weekend was a great one and a safe one. And welcome as we're back today, Tuesday, May 30th, the year 2023. In the league where it just means more, they keep setting records. Will they go to nine games in football? Well, they're meeting in Destin to discuss those topics and much, much more. We've got college baseball playoffs beginning. We've got the NBA finals beginning this week. All these topics are up for discussion today. My main man, James Mesh, back in the master control suite in the FCO Development Studios. FCO Development, a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction that's on the campus of Delta Media which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're on KLCJ 1041 in Lake Charles, streaming around the world. 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you happen to be in the Acadiana area, well, you can uh, turn your television set on because we're simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. Well, the SEC, you know, where it just means more, is hosting eight college baseball regionals, a record for the tournament, while the ACC is hosting four, the Big 12, Pac-12, Missouri Valley, and Sunbelt, each hosting one Wake Forest is the number one overall seed, followed by number two seed Florida, number three seed Arkansas, number five, four seed Clemson, and then come the LSU Tigers at number five. They're going to play at Alec Box Stadium all the way through the Super Regional if they can first make it through a region regional consisting of three familiar foes: Tulane, Sam Houston and Oregon State, Tulane, my goodness gracious, um, earned an automatic bid after a totally out-of-the-clear-blue-air surprising victory in its AAC conference tournament. Nobody ever thought that. LSU played Tulane this year already, beating them 11-5 to on April 1st. They also faced Sam Houston this year in the Round Rock Classic, made easy work of the Bearcats, pounding out 23 hits en route to a 16-4 win. And as far as Oregon State is concerned, uh, well, familiarity. Go back to 2018. The Beavers ended LSU season five years ago in the Corvallis Regional. The previous year, 2017, LSU defeated Oregon State in Omaha, to advance to the College World Series championship only to lose to Florida in that one. So the Tigers and the Green Wave are still around. Trey Morgan, who is a 
Jr., which means he could be draft eligible, was asked, dude, does this feel like your one last ride? I mean, uh, we go out there every time and try to play the game like it's our uh, last time playing it together because no matter what happens next year, we know that this isn't going to be the same team, like no matter how things turn out. So, yeah, we, um, we're going to go out there and play the game hard. We're going to leave it all on the field. We don't want to walk off, you know, feeling like, oh, we should have did this. We could have did this. Like, no, we're going to leave it all out there and let the chips fall where they may. Love it. Gavin Duga, what's your advice to the younger guys about what to expect in hosting a regional? Keep it simple. Have fun. It's a, it's a game of baseball. You know, you can't really make it more than it is and just enjoy it as much as you can. Enjoy it as much as you can. So LSU Tulane in the Baton Rouge Regional, the Ragin' Cajuns saw their name come up on the screen as a number three seed in the Coral Gables Regional. When hearing that, Matt Deggs was asked, what was that uh, reaction by the team like in the locker room? It's like a dog pile. It's just total jubilation, and it just – it's uh, spontaneous. It's like when you watch those selection shows, I remember uh, we hosted in 14 because we were top eight seed. The selection show was out on our field, if you guys remember that. And all of that stuff scripted. Uh, and so it's just – it's kind of anticlimactic. This what I just witnessed in there and was a part of myself, uh, just raw emotion raw emotion because look and this the, like it or not i'm gonna say it anyway i want you to picture one of your closest friends or relationships and find out tomorrow that they've passed that's what it always feels like to me and you don't get over it that's not something that uh you a week or two go by and you get over it part of the reason i came back here is because 2014 team didn't win a national championship you don't get over that stuff and it hurts. And this is, this is, if not the closest, one of the closest brotherhoods and ball clubs I've ever been a part of. And uh, to find out that you have new life, that's the story of redemption, right? And that redemption will begin on Friday at 1 p.m. when the 40 and 22 Cajuns play the number two seed, Texas, in the Coral Gables Classic. Regional host Miami will play number four seed Maine in the second game on Friday. Um, man, uh, you, you never know what was going to happen with the Cajuns. You go back to late April when they suffered a road sweep at James Madison, and then it was like everybody said, it's over, it's done, let's get ready for next year. But they survived, advanced, and did what it took. Now they're in the field, and that's quite quite the accomplishment. Again, the SEC placed 10 teams in the NCAA field, a record eight regional hosts. Um, man, it's, uh, uh, it's amazing. But like in any tournament, whatever the, whatever the sport may be, the bottom line, teams wouldn't be in the field if they weren't good. If they weren't good, they wouldn't make it. So all these teams are good, and we shall see what happens along the line. So um, Ben McDonald, who covered the SEC baseball tournament 
uh, will join us in uh, just a few minutes and get his take on LSU and the rest of the SEC as the uh, the road to Omaha begins in earnest. LSU will play at 2 o'clock on Friday against Tulane. So, no Jordy Holtberg show on Friday. We'll turn it over to LSU, and we'll bring you all the coverage here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Um, we know that uh, spring meetings for the SEC taking place in Destin. Adam Spencer will join us today as well. And we'll discuss that. It was a game seven. And you know, there's a reason why no team has ever come from 0-3 down to win an NBA series. It's hard to win four games in a row. It's very, very hard. The Boston Celtics had all the momentum on their side. That gut punch of a game six win against Miami on the Derek White tip-in at the buzzer. But Miami's resilient, and they took care of business in the Garden, beating the Celtics 103-84. to Everybody knows Jimmy Butler was the, the series MVP, but I'm telling you, they don't get where they are without Caleb Martin. And you're like, who the heck was Caleb Martin before these series began? He was a guy that was in the G League not too long ago. But given his opportunity, he took advantage of it. He had 26 points, 10 rebounds in the Game 7 clincher. He was sensational. And Boston, Boston played like a team that was playing not to lose. You've seen that before. You, you've seen it in so many other ways, playing not to lose instead and going out like Miami and playing to win. It didn't help that Jason Tatum suffered an ankle injury in the very early, early stages of the first quarter. That didn't help. He still played 42 minutes, had 14 points, 11 rebounds, but the combination of Tatum and Jalen Brown, their two superstars, needed more than a combined 33 points. They just did. Derek White was the only player that looked like he played up to his norm, to his potential, with 18 points. So now the NBA Finals are set. It'll begin on Thursday with the Denver Nuggets hosting the Miami Heat. There's mismatches galore in this series that are an advantage to Denver. But I'm not counting Miami out. Not going to do it. Not going to do it in any way, shape, or form. Not going to do it. Um, so we've got uh, these stories. We've got uh, Ali Cassell to talk about the NBA playoffs. We've got Bob Rose of the Saints News Network to talk about the Saints, Troy Aikman says he can envision Tom Brady playing for the Vegas Raiders. Huh. We shall see. We shall see. Some birthday wishes along the way and a lot more. So we're here 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock each and every day, Monday through Friday, except we had Monday off and we have Friday off. So we'll be here Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. With that in mind, we'll take our first break of the day. Ben McDonald talking NCAA Tournament Baseball, the Tigers, the Cajuns, the Greenies in the hunt. We'll be back next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
And you can see the defending world champs live and in person because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with another Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Cincinnati Reds on Saturday, June 17th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Mid Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways, powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. We are back 16 minutes after the hour. The regular season is over. The conference tournament play is over. The field of 64 is set, and uh, it's time for... Regional baseball tournament play. Ben McDonald, the former Golden Spikes Award winner, number one draft pick, does a great job as a color analyst for the Orioles, the SEC Network. He's kind enough to join us to talk about it all. He was in Hoover uh, covering the tournament. And Ben, um, golly, 10 teams in the field from the SEC, eight of them have hosting the SEC is hosting half of the tournament in their own backyard. That's kind of amazing, man. How are you? Doing good, Jordy. How about yourself? Yeah, man, the SEC, I tell you, uh, that's a record. You know, it's the first time uh, one, one conference has had eight out of the 16 hosts, you know. But, uh, you know, the SEC continues, like in football, it continues to dominate uh, college baseball. And you go back and look, I think the SEC's won the last three national titles, four of the last seven, and seven of the last 12. And so – that's kind of where it is right now. And so uh, 10 teams get in, which wasn't a surprise. A little bit of a surprise on the on the eight seeds, but really South Carolina was the last one. And they were really good, Jordy. They didn't finish strong this year like they wanted to. They were really, like LSU, they were one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country, when LSU and South Carolina hooked up, you know, about a month and a half ago, about a month ago, actually. And so they've fallen off with some injuries, kind of like LSU a little bit, but still quite capable of making a run to Omaha for sure. I don't like to match up conference teams against conference teams if, if they get past the regionals to the super regionals, but it could happen in a couple of them. Um, LSU is matched up in the Kentucky-Lexington regional, uh, where both LSU and Kentucky are number one seeds, obviously. And then you've got Florida and South Carolina with a possibility down the road. You you were there at Hoover. You saw all these teams. Vanderbilt wins it. But who's your you know what it takes to win in this college world series. You know what it takes to get there and to win it. Which, which club do, do you believe has the best opportunity to uh, be the last team standing? Well, it, you know, it's hard to pick them. I mean, we go back a year ago and Ole Miss just snuck in as like the ninth best team in or eighth yeah. best team in the sec finished fifth in the West. And yet they go on to win the college world series. Um, you know, I'll be honest, and it sounds cliche, but it's true. There's so many talented teams in the SEC, and it, it's going to be whoever gets hot and makes that run, kind of like Ole Miss did last year. Texas A&M impressed me. I mean, Texas A&M really had to probably win at least one game uh, to you know to get an NCAA bid, and they, and they yeah. make a run all the way to the finals of the SEC tournament. They really impressed me with their pitching. Their pitching turned the corner. I think Vanderbilt's quite capable. I love the Florida team. The Florida team may have the most talent out of anybody. You know, they got some real pitchers and, and Jack Caglione and Wyatt Langford, who could be the first pick of the draft coming up. 
they got a very talented team, you know. And I do think while LSU's fallen on hard times a little bit lately, I mean, were they seven and seven their last fourteen games? Went one and two in the SEC tournament. If LSU comes around and starts playing like the team of five weeks ago, of course LSU could be a favorite to get there too. So I think it's going to be whoever gets their stuff straight, you know, going in the regionals. And yeah. it's the time of year we play for real now. And everything that you've done to this point doesn't mean a hill of beans anymore. And so. If you had a great year, good for you. Continue to do it. If you had an off year, didn't perform well, you got a chance to be a star now in the postseason. You know, and right. we know the key with LSU. The key with LSU is going to be the pitching, and, and LSU's pitching will take them as far as they're going to go. That's kind of the bottom line. Although the offense, I felt like was a little bit off in Hoover. You know, I think that last yeah. game that they lost, they go three for twenty with runners in scoring position, but. Tommy White set that game out for an unknown reason we don't know about. And certainly if he was in that lineup, I think the game uh, result could have been a lot different. But I think all these teams, to answer your question, I think Florida, I think Arkansas, I think LSU, I think A&M, I think all those teams are quite capable of getting home ball. There's no doubt in my mind. You get hot at the right time, and now everybody has a clean slate. We go from there. LSU versus Tulane. Uh, 40 losses, the most losses by any team to ever get into the field. They win their conference tournaments. The only way they can get in, it's like a basketball tournament. You win that when you're in. So 19 and 42 lane will play LSU Friday at two o'clock. They're, they're certainly going to pitch down on this thing, right? So I would imagine, I'm just guessing, I would imagine since Thatcher Hurd got the start in the SEC tournament, I would imagine Thatcher Hurd would get the start against Tulane. He could. I mean, you, you could see Jay. I think it's out of Thatcher Hurd and Ty Floyd for me. You know, the Thatcher Hurd was set up because you get the quick turnaround and a Wednesday game in Hoover, and obviously the three rotation guys threw on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thatcher Hurd yeah, did not throw a whole lot. And so maybe it was a rotation choice to get Thatcher Hurd going and you come back with Keen. Uh I wouldn't be shocked to see Ty Floyd run out there to be honest. And here's the question for that. You, LSU has to have a big arm at the back end of their bullpen to be able to close out games in regionals and super regionals. If Thatcher Hurd starts and Ty Floyd gets plugged in in game three, where do you go with a big reliever at the back end? So, you know, if it was me, I'd probably run Ty Floyd out there. I would say Thatcher Hurd in that bullpen if I needed somebody to come in and, and finish off a game and close the game out. If I don't use him in game or game game one or game two in a regional, of course he would be my starter in game three. If I did use him, I'd probably run Coleman out there in game three and just say, you know what, game three, you're going to be on your third or fourth best pitcher. This is my third or fourth best pitcher. We're just going to outslug you. We're LSU, and we average 9.3 runs per game. So it's interesting to see what Jay chooses to do. Obviously, Skeens won't go in game one. He'll go in game two against, uh, you know, uh, the winner bracket game. And so we'll see how Jay, uh, you know, runs it out there. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out and if LSU's pitching can, can grab a different gear and get going. I'm with you. Uh, ben McDonald, kind of have to join us. I guess Paul Skeens is human, right? He's not a robot. I mean, he finally had one of those moments in the SEC tournament, but I have no doubt his bounce back ability. He'll be, he'll be ready to roll again. Yeah. You know, the velocity was good. Uh, you know, I saw him pitch. He just, uh, I thought that the breaking balls weren't quite as crisp and sharp as we've seen him in the past. He had trouble, 
you know, if, you know, getting rid of guys like he typically strikes out a lot of guys, and, and he's done in four or five pitches for each guy, and he gets out of there. They did a nice job of fouling some balls off against him, extending some at bats. They got his pitch count up, and he was always going to come out of the game a little bit early. You know, the, the goal for Jay was get ready for regionals to get all his guys to get their feet wet and get their work in that kind of stuff. But yeah, just a little bit of an off game for him. But look, he's the best pitcher in all of college baseball. He'll 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 be ready to go come regional time on a Saturday night uh, at LSU for sure. So that's going to be a fun uh, matchup with whoever wins that two and three matchup for sure, you know. But, uh, you know, two lengths of each can be dangerous. I don't want people to overlook them because, obviously, Jordy, you know this. When you're playing with house money and two lanes playing with house mm. money right now, they weren't supposed to be there. They That's weren't right. supposed to win that tournament. And sometimes you go up against teams that aren't expected to win and weren't supposed to be there. They play free and easy and loose. And LSU had a hard time dispatching of Tulane back, you know, during the regular season as well in the midweek game too. So this could be a really tough opening round matchup for LSU. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before, you know, you get into an NCAA tournament – Everybody's good. They don't get there unless they're good. And Tulane may have been rotten during the beginning of the season, but they got hot at the right time. So a team with, that's hot, and like you said, playing with house money, uh, and you know the Tulane Green Wave, love nothing more than to beat an LSU Tiger. I don't care if it's in oh, yeah. weeks. <laughs> that right? would make that their makes... year. I mean, that, look, that would make their year. <laughs> Excuse me. And you're right. I mean, look, I think they lost their first six games of the year. They lose 10 of the first 11. They even lose – six of their final seven games to end the regular season. So nobody gave them a chance in the tournament, and yet they win four out of five games in the tournament. I tell you what, their offense where it has been very average all year long. Look, they averaged ten runs per game in that five games in that conference tournament. So maybe that offense of theirs is hitting the stride at the right time. They've got pitching problems, and they're a team ERA of seven right now on the year. Uh, that is a concern for Tulane, but – Again, playing with house money and coming off a, a big win, they got a lot of the big M in their favor, a lot of momentum in their favor right now. You know, you, you've been into uh, tournament play, uh, NCAA tournament play. I played in another sport and tournament play. And the, and the hardest thing to do is to make your teammates and make everyone understand that, yes, this is very, very big, but in, in essence, it's, it's another game. And you've got to go and do what you've done all year long the same type of preparation. The nerves are going to be there. The crowd is going to be there. You're going to be. It's going to be talked a lot about. Uh, talked about a lot more. But you got to go. Once you step between those lines, you got to go play. And uh, I guess that would be the advice I would give to LSU. You're here for a reason. Now go. Don't don't do more than you, you're capable of. Don't do less. Do what you do. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And and the good news for LSU is they've got some guys that's been around a little bit, you know, and Jordan Thompson's been a three-year starter. Dugas is in his fifth year at LSU. Tommy White, you know, had some NCAA experience last year. Of course, Dylan Cruz, Trey Morgan. they got a lot of guys that have experienced the NCAA tournament before. Now, what's different about this is it's at home for the first time in a while for LSU, and it's been a while since LSU's yeah. hosted a regional at home. So that's a little bit different. The crowd's going to be a little bit different crowd, a little bit different buzz at the ballpark. And so you're, you're going to be nervous in game one. And that's why, that's where you see the upsets across NCAA baseball is one versus four because everybody's super nervous going into an environment like that. But I think if you're Jay Johnson, you just lean back and say, look, guys, we're a top eight national seed for a reason. We're one of the best teams in the country. We've had, we had our bumps in the road like a lot of teams did. Unfortunately for us, it was towards the end of the season where other teams hit their bumps kind of at different times of the season. But we're quite capable of turning this thing around. We're quite capable and talented enough 
to get to Omaha. That's always been the goal for us all year long, and I expect for us to be there. And I think that's going to be his message, you know. And, and you go win game one, you put the big right hand on the mound in game two, and then after that you got to be beat twice by somebody coming through the loser's bracket. And I like LSU's chances. And I really think LSU, and it's not taking anything away from Kentucky, Kentucky is a very solid team for sure, 16 wins in the SEC. But I think LSU got a pretty favorable draw uh, in a super regional, too. It could have been a lot worse for LSU. And so I like LSU's chances, Jordan, to be honest with you, uh, getting to Omaha. I do, too. I don't know if Kentucky's going to get out of their own regional. West Virginia's not bad. I wouldn't surprise yeah, me West at Virginia's all. Good. The Mountaineers and, and, won and, it. You know, you know how it is. I mean, it's going to be whoever plays the best and gets hot. And, that's, and West Virginia was in a, in a hosting conversation not too long ago and did not finish strong, you know. And you could say the same thing about – you know, Oregon State coming to LSU, they did not finish that strong either, you know. And uh, East East Carolina got beat, of course, and uh, by Tulane. But Sam Houston State's a team that can really, really bang it. They are very offensive, and LSU played them early in the year. But their strength is their offense, too. So I think you're going to see some runs on the scoreboard uh, in this Baton Rouge region. I think you've got some teams that can bang it a little bit. So it's going to be a fun regional. I'd feel a lot better if we had the old Alec Box Stadium for regional play. You, 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 you couldn't beat LSU when they played in that in that stadium. I'm telling you, it was just it was so close, so hot, so ferocious. I miss that yeah. old place. It was like it was like magic, you know. It was like magic, like there was magic in that place. Not to say there's not magic in the new box, but it was just you just never Different. felt like LSU was out of it or going to lose a ball game. That, that stretch that LSU had over those years when Coach Burton was there was just an amazing, amazing yeah. run. You know, But, look, I'm happy for Jay. And you, you look at where this LSU program is in just these two years. You know, And LSU, everybody forgets, LSU, the three prior years to Jay Johnson was just a 500 club in the SEC. They were 45 and 45. You know, Jay has two yeah. really solid years in a row, goes to a regional last year, and, of course, hosting – a regional top eight national seat. So LSU is certainly trending uh, in the right direction. I think Jay's going to do a good job at LSU for a very long time to come. He continues to recruit really well. Obviously, we know they've been hit with the injury bug, and losing those two back-end guys really hurt LSU You know, about a month or so ago. That's hurt, right. but I think LSU has enough to overcome that. It's like, where's Waldo? Where's Ben going to be? What's your assignment? Man, I'm gonna be right here in Baton Rouge, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I don't know where I'm gonna be. I don't know where I'll be for a super regional. But right now, I know I'm gonna be in Baton Rouge for a regional, so I'm gonna just take it one week at a time. I'm gonna beg like hell if LSU wins to uh, to stay home and sleep in my own bed for a super regional too. I I think you've earned the right, Ben McDonald. We are we are all the wiser, all the better for you coming on and talking with us. Thank you, my friend. You are the best. Any, we greatly appreciate it. Any, Enjoy the regional. Anytime, Jordy. Anytime, Jordy. Yeah, I'll, but, I'll see you at regional. You got it, my friend. Ben McDonald. All right. LSU versus Tulane on Friday, followed by Oregon State and Sam Houston State. And LSU, will the, the winner of the Baton Rouge Regional, matched up with the winner of the Lexington Regional. We'll take a quick time out here. Destin, Florida. That's where all the power brokers of the SEC are. Adam Spencer from Saturday Down South and I will discuss the big, big, big story coming out of Destin. Will there be a story? Will there be a decision next? This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game has a brand new app. It is now your one-stop shop for all things the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Download the free mobile app today from your Apple or Android device. Just search the game, Southwest Louisiana. No matter where you are, you can listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we are back on this Tuesday, May 30th, 36 minutes after the hour, while baseball teams in the SEC get prepared for regional play this week. Um, All the big wigs are at the spring meetings in Sandestin Beach, Florida. Adam Spencer from Saturday Down South here to join us. Adam, it's been a while, my friend. How the heck are you, sir? I'm doing all right, Jordy. Got a new addition to the family here. She's been uh, with us for about six weeks, so uh, that's been pretty exciting and keeping me plenty busy for sure. Oh, that's congratulations, uh, boy, girl. Uh, girl, her name's Audrey. Audrey. Well, congratulations and welcome, uh, Audrey spencer to the program so that that's awesome man congratulations all right spring meetings the big the big and hottest topic of discussion is the eight game versus nine game sec schedule format i thought it would be easy but obviously it hasn't been for a variety of seasons this this has been dragged on and on and on it eventually has to come to a, a conclusion do you foresee uh, a conclusion coming out of these annual spring meetings this week in Destin, Florida? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I think that uh, really what the SEC wants to try to do is to put out a united front when they announce, not if, but when they announce that they're moving to nine games, uh, the league schedule. But, uh, you know, I don't, just the, I don't have any verified sources, but the uh, the rumors that I've been hearing are that it's like a ten to four split um, between the schools right now. Ten wanting nine games, four wanting uh, eight games, and uh, you know I, I wonder if the reason if I, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if the holdouts are the ones with the permanent ACC rivals. You know, the Floridas with the Florida States, the Georgias with the Georgia Techs, the South Carolinas with the Clemsons, and you know Kentucky Louisville. So they would be essentially guaranteeing themselves 10 power five games every year. If the schedule moves up to, to nine games uh, in the SEC. So I wonder if they're the holdouts, but uh, you know, it does sound like if they were forced to vote on it, which I think they just should and get it over with, then, you know, it would pass the nine game SEC schedule would pass by a, a decent margin. Um, you know, I, I I know that they want to hold out until it's fourteen to nothing, but uh, so they can prevent present a united front. But uh, you know, you wouldn't hold a vote if everything was unanimous. So, you know, I think that they really just need to get that passed, so then they can dive into to me what is going to be the more contentious issue of who is everyone's three permanent rivals, which. Which brings me to the power broker in this because they've won so many national championships, and that's Alabama. And remember, it wasn't very long ago where Nick Saban added a twist to all the negotiations earlier this spring when he publicly complained about Alabama's projected three permanent opponents, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee. Nick Saban's always promoted the nine-game format 
Could Alabama now be preferring an eight-game schedule, and could that be enough to sway others? Who knows? Yeah, I think that if, if Nick Saban really is disappointed in that, then like he's a major hypocrite because he's even said that he would play ten Power Five games in the past. Um, yeah, you know, so if, if that's just his way of saying, "Well, I'll play Boston College and California every year," then I mean, you're not really doing much to beef up your strength of schedule. Um, so, you know, I, I think, yeah, yes, I'll, if moving forward, but like these things are so cyclical. Yes. I mean, right now with Hugh Freeze in place at Auburn, yeah, it kind of looks like Auburn, LSU and Tennessee would be a very, you know, difficult gauntlet every year. But I mean, look at, you know, Tennessee's three might be, Theoretically, it could be Kentucky, Alabama, and Georgia, or Kentucky, Alabama, and Florida. If you have three SEC opponents and one of them isn't Vanderbilt, then these things are all cyclical. It wasn't too long ago that Tennessee was a dumpster fire. Heck, LSU went through a couple of down years there after it won the title. Auburn's been in crisis mode the past couple years. So, honestly, just... The fact that Nick Saban is complaining about that at all is really weird to me because, you know, these, like even teams that get stuck with Alabama on the schedule, well, in 10 years, Nick Saban's not going to be there, I would I would guess. I mean, he might be there for another five, which would be another five very difficult years of playing Alabama. But these things are all cyclical, you know. I mean, let's, let's hope for my sake that, you know, maybe one day Mizzou gets back to the SEC East uh, contending status that it was in 2013 and 2014. You know, outside of Vanderbilt, which, you know, I, I just really don't necessarily see ever being a major factor in football the way things are currently constructed. Um, any team in the SEC could really rise up at any given time and uh, and make some noise. So I, I, I wouldn't worry too much about the three permanent rivals, but I do think that they need to pass the nine-game conference schedule so that we can now start spending most of the time diving into those three permanent rivals for each team. Greg Sankey, um, the commissioner, said we're not going to go out there. It's not going to be money-based. Well, baloney. In two, just, just to show you the growth of this conference, in 2000, the SEC distributed $73.2 million equally to the 12-member institutions, $6.08 million per school. 22 years later, in 2022, the SEC distributed $721.8 million equally to its 14 members, or $51.5 million per school. Now, here we come, 2024, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, they're coming to the party. The SEC is going to want more money from ESPN, and ESPN is going to say, okay, but we want better games. We want nine games of conference play each and every year. I, I, I don't see how they can avoid it. Either one of them, you know, you get, there's give and take with everything. SEC wants more money. ESPN wants more games. Bingo. Nine games. Here we go. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, I would think that if you're ESPN, you even try to make a clause in there that they still have to play one non-conference game against a power five opponent every year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, yeah. Uh, and you know, I think that that would be something that the Georgia's Florida's Kentucky's and South Carolina's would agree on because they already have that 10th game now built into the schedule. And then they would force everybody else to play that 10th game. And I think that that's fair. 
I, I think that that's a good way to go about it. You get, you know, 10 power five games per each team. If you want to play more, you know, feel free to, but uh, you don't have to. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it just makes so much sense to go to nine games. So why waste this entire week debating that? Like, mm-hmm. vote on that by the end of the day. Get that announcement out there end of day today and then you know focus on the real issues the ones that are going to take some nuance and some time to to really hammer out you know i I think that that 10 game proposal is a no-brainer and i think that that would be a concession to those four schools that have permanent acc rivals and uh and then yeah and then you go from there and then you also you know debate the the like they need to really i think that they need to come away with from these meetings this week with the three permanent rivals or else that's going to be all anybody ever gets asked about at uh, SEC media days this summer. You're right. Uh, Their television deal with ESPN is worth more than 800 million annually. I believe with the addition of Texas, Oklahoma, um, they're going to, that's going to up the ante. Um, It's like Texas versus Georgia, Texas versus LSU, Oklahoma versus Alabama, Oklahoma versus Florida. How much do you think is reasonable for the SEC to say, look, we've got these two brands coming in here. Uh, it's at 800 million. We want more. What do you think that is it a billion dollars a year? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think that's a good number to shoot for just because, you know, I think that Texas, you're not, you know, you're not adding Texas A&M in Missouri this time around, you know, it's not the, yeah, these are two, brand name schools here that are uh, very competitive in uh, in football the you know the biggest uh, the biggest revenue driver there is yeah. so yeah i mean those games that you mentioned you know alabama texas was one of one of the most watched games last year um you know it's going to be one of the most watched games this year uh yeah so if you can get games like that you know texas versus georgia would be a ton of fun um you know it, if you can get more of those games on the schedule you can you can drive the price, you know, it, it 800 million for, uh, for six or for 14 schools right now, that's, right. you know, a little over 50 million, um, per school on that deal. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta add in those bigger schools. Yeah. I think a billion is reasonable. And, uh, yeah, like you said, you know, the SEC is going to want to keep those distribution numbers going up, up, up. Yeah. I, I don't think Ole Miss or Mississippi state or Kentucky, uh, want to go up. I think they want to stay pat. Um, but I think everybody else sees the, uh, sees the enormity that's involved in it. And it, it, you can't lose that way. There's going to be more teams getting in the playoffs and look what the sec did in baseball. I mean, if you're good, you're good. And you beat each other up during the conference, but your RPI is so good. You're going to get in the tournament and the sec is going to get numerous teams in it. So it just, I agree with you. Why, why beat around the bush? Let's get this thing over with and, and let's move on. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of issues that, you know, are playing this. I mean, cause you know, there's, you know, the future schedule, I don't see them sticking with just the three permanent rivals long-term. Um, you know, I think that they do move to some sort of pod, pod system in the future. Um, just with you know the 16 teams, it just doesn't really make sense to to necessarily have three permanent rivals and then play everybody else like once every three years or whatever. So 
you know, I think that there's ways to, uh, there's, there's a lot to discuss, but first things first, you got to approve the nine games and, and get that out of there because, yeah, there's TV deals that need done and, uh, you know, there's the money made. Like, it's, it's inevitable. You already have power conferences that are doing nine games. You know, the Big 12 was, uh, you know, the, the Big 10 is, the Pac 12 is. So they're already there, uh, holding out isn't going to help anything you can like you can even still have your cupcake week if you want before you play your big rivals to, to rest up like you just have to manage that a little bit better if, if you're banged up uh you know so there's there's still a, a ton of uh of stuff to discuss but yeah i think that um i think that this is one of the most important sec spring meetings in uh in recent history just to really uh you know i i and to your point too, you know, yeah, you beat up on each other in the SEC season, but when has that mattered in football? You know, the last several champions have been from the SEC, so it clearly isn't affecting them too much when it comes to playoff time. So yeah, let's let's get this done. But as always, follow the money. It's how athletic departments are funded. It's how they build stadiums. It's how student athletes are developed, and yeah, paid for. Because uh, now with all the NIL money, so just follow the money. It just makes perfect sense. There's no reason to delay this. I'm with you. Let's get it done, and then let's move on from there. Let one quick last one: college football. Are you buying stock in LSU this year? Um, I mean, yeah, I think that they're definitely capable of getting back to the 10 win mark. Um, now, do I think that that means that uh, that they're going to necessarily be the SEC West champion. I, I don't know. It's going to be really tough. And I do think that the game in Tuscaloosa this year is going to decide that. I think Alabama, you know, yes, their quarterback situation is uh, a bit up in the air right now. But, uh, you know, I like this move from, from Pete Golding to Kevin Steele on defense. Uh, and, I, and I think that it kind of signals what Nick Saban is thinking for his future you know Kevin Steele is not the recruiter that Pete Golding is um, but he is a better X's and O's guy Um, so you know I think that uh, you know they have the talent that they want in there in Tuscaloosa right now Um, so Kevin Steele is now tasked with developing that talent which uh, you know Pete Golding may not have been the best at but uh, yeah I think that we're going to see Alabama's defense be a lot better this year Um, I think that the offense is going to be solid so that game in Tuscaloosa is going to be huge and I think the winner of that one wins the SEC West hands down Adam Spencer Saturday down south congratulations uh, on your newborn baby that's terrific a life is going to get a lot more fun for you my friend so thank you for carving out some time for us absolutely thanks for having me Jordy yeah. all right buddy congratulations Adam Spencer Saturday down south. We'll take our final timeout of hour number one. Set the stage for a busy hour number two next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And our great partners like ShopRite, Tobacco Plus Discount Outlets. If you can't ShopRite at ShopRite, you can't ShopRite at all. Hi, Ducks, cleaning America's air from the inside out. Eon, the premier touchless robotic laser body contouring device that helps you lose those unwanted inches along with permanent fat reduction. Eon in Lafayette, in Baton Rouge, and in Mandeville. By the Louisiana Lottery, you can't win until you start playing. 
DC's Little Capital Exxon, I-10 at the Henderson Cecilia exit with their true soul food deli inside their store that has everything. It's the home of the best cheeseburger you've ever tasted. And by Cajun Chef. Yeah, do yourself a flavor. Turn up the taste with Cajun Chef hot sauce. Don't agree with what Jordy has to say? Not to worry. He's always open to a healthy debate. Well, Dean, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that Actually, question. Actually, I'd like to jump in and take that one, Jimmy, if you don't mind. Have at it, Hoss. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111. Now back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And a couple of quick notes to tidy up and finish up our number one. Will Baker, the seven-footer for transfer from Nevada, officially withdrew from the 2023 NBA draft. He's going to return to school and play for the Tigers next season. Um, at the SEC meetings, Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz said college players through NIL are making more money than his brother-in-law, who is a pediatrician. Quote, he saves lives. And... <laughs> If you're going to Kentucky for the regional, well, no hotels within an hour of Lexington because of a country music festival. So West Virginia, Indiana, and Ball State players and coaches are staying in University of Kentucky dorm rooms. Welcome to college baseball and the playoff experience. Coming up, our number two, Ali Cassell. It's going to be the Heat and the Nuggets in the NBA Finals. Bob Rose will join us for all the latest on the Saints and the NFL. Our number two, straight ahead here on the Jordy Hulpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. It's hour number two of two and away we go. So happy you're with us on this Tuesday, May 30th, the year 2023. LSU hosting a regional in which Tulane will be a participant. The Raging Cajuns heading to Miami Beach in the Coral Gables regional, where they'll take on the Texas Longhorns. The NBA playoffs, well, we're down to the final two. Finally, we'll cover that story here in just a minute. But we always begin with my producer, James Mesh, inside the Evco Development Studios. Evco Development, a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. It's on the campus of Delta Media, which is where you'll find KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're on KLCJ 1041 in Lake Charles, streaming everywhere, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area, you can um, turn your television set on because we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Thanks to a great Game 7, the Miami Heat bested the Boston Celtics in the Garden, 103-84. So Miami represents the East. Denver's been sitting back waiting and waiting and waiting. They will represent the West. Game 1 of the NBA Finals this Thursday. Ali Cassell. From At the Bird Rights, my NBA guru, 
We talk all things NBA, in particular the New Orleans Pelicans. Kind enough to join us. Ali, how are you and those pups doing? Doing great outside of the storm that's overhead. So a couple of Uh-oh. the dogs, as, as is the usual case, right? Animals don't like yeah. storms. So I'm dealing with them underneath the table in my legs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I hear the quote from Eric Spolstra, and it just struck me like, oh, my gosh. He goes, you know, uh, when your very best players, when your stars – also want to guard and defend on the other end of the court, then life is easy because everybody else falls in line. And I keep thinking about the Pelicans and I'm going, well, all right, the Pelican stars, Zion, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum. Do any of those strike your, your fancy as being really good defensive players? No, obviously not. But I will say this. Remember how everybody looked at the start of the season? Now, granted, instances were rare when you saw everybody playing, right, because of all the injuries. But we didn't see Zion Williamson really playing any defense. And I thought Brandon Ingram was definitely subpar. But as the season progressed, for instance, Zion, when B.I. was out especially, remember he was taking over games, not just offensively. It was his defense, right, coming up with big steals, big blocks, in key moments, right, within clutch time minutes. So I started seeing a side of Zion that we saw at Duke. So – right? Maybe there's potential that he could be that two-way guy for you. And I thought Ingram played much better all over the court, too, once he got returned back from his toe injury. So I'm not going to write them off completely, but you're right. They're nowhere near on the level of, say, Jimmy Butler or, you know, some of these elite two-way guys in the league. Ali, uh, C.J. McCollum sat down with our buddy Ryan Rossillo to discuss his relationship with Zion Williamson on Rossillo's podcast. And, uh, he he said something with I've never heard this before, but it it uh, it makes really good sense. He said that he's told Zion that there are stars in this league, and there are planets. Jokic, planet. Steph Curry, mm-hmm. planet. You Zion are a planet. You have to move like a planet. Your ceiling is unlike anything the game has ever seen. What what does it mean? You have to move like a planet well you basically because of your great immense size you dictate things right so you have to set a standard you have to not just have a routine for yourself right in eating right correctly taking care of yourself but you have to set a tone right you're one of these best players and therefore to fulfill your fullest potential which of course is not just individual but as from a team standpoint and winning it all well, you've got to be able to carry a massive load, right? So you've got to, like Jimmy Butler, I think he's one of my favorite examples because we see what in the regular season he does, but he, he lifts himself in all these aspects to where he's the uh, unquestioned leader in key moments, in huddles, you name it. So Zion's got to get there, right? And, and he's not even really to step one. He kind of started getting there a year ago, right, when he came into training camp in better shape. But that involves so much more, right? So you've got to stay in shape for the full season. Then you've got to start taking kind of a, you know, using your presence because you are one of the elite players who can put the ball through the hoop like really no other. You've got to now use that type of presence as being a unifier, right? So there's so many things that go into it. But in essence, it just means you're one of the most elite towns in the league, and yet you're not fulfilling your potential in terms of wins and losses on the record. And Zion's got a long way to go. So I'm glad. I heard yeah. that podcast, too. 
And I love that, you know, he's getting that type of input, both from, you know, not just CJ, but also Larry Nance. Yeah, now Charles Barkley wants to talk. Everybody wants to help the kid out. And to his credit, he did come into last season in the best shape mm-hmm. of his career. And a lot of credit goes to his trainer, Jasper Bibbs, with his conditioning and his weight. And then, unfortunately, that hamstring injury in January, and that was the end of Zion, and that was basically the end of the Pelican season. So, um, you know, he's got an off season to get into shape. Everybody wants to help him. Now he's got to help himself, and we've talked about it ad nauseum. He's got to drop weight, and if he does that, then then you know who knows? The ceiling is what? What did Michael Jordan say? The ceiling is the roof. I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I love that quote because it feels like that's what it is for Zion. Look, he was getting talked about for what was it, a five six week stretch as potentially an MVP candidate, right? All of course, all of his teammates were saying that after some big games like Jose Alvarado and such. But we saw it with our own eyes. I mean, that, that, that finishing dunk against the Phoenix Suns when the Pelicans are riding a seven-game winning streak, and then, of course, they had a five-game winning streak shortly thereafter, showed us everything we need to know. And there was no Brandon Ingram there on the court. It was largely Zion leading the team with, you know, fewer than 100 games at that point uh, under his belt for his career and doing what he was doing against the elite talent. And the sky is the limit for him, guys. And it's just it's a shame that... I hope we really soon get to see him play, you know, full season just to see what he could do. And that means even if an injury comes up, stay on top of your conditioning, right? You, you've got to stay on top of everything so then maybe you don't suffer that setback or you come back in a timely fashion, which he's never been able to do either. No question about it. Now it's, it's, the ball is in his court, and we all would love the opportunity to see the Pelicans go as far as they can and, heaven forbid, maybe one day do what the Heat and the Nuggets are doing and, and playing for an NBA championship. Um, there's so many mismatches in this NBA finals, and they seem to all all but favor Denver. But, man, I can't count Miami out. Not the way they play. Not as well coached as they are. I just can't count them out. No, you can't. And, look, I've done it in each series. I'm sure most yeah. most people around the world have that are fans. Look, against the Bucks, they weren't supposed to win, right? against the number one seed. But Giannis missed a couple games. We know the story. They took, kind of took it easy against them. Knicks, that was more of an even matchup. But, again, I actually picked the Knicks to come out of that series. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Celtics. I think everybody in this world had pretty much Boston coming out. So you're right. You can't undersell them. Because, look, it's not just you know Coach Spo. It's really not just Jimmy Butler. But they seemingly get guys contributing up and down the court on the bench. Look. Against Boston, there were times where I thought next to Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, um, Duncan Robinson, Max Strews may have been better than a lot of what Boston was putting out there. Even that includes names like Jalen Brown, who was awful right throughout the series. Jason Tatum, who was on and off. So Miami has these these guys that just can contribute under the brightest lights. And I think you got to give some credit to Heat culture. But they've also nailed in getting those 25, 26, 27-year-olds who seemingly are past that, you know, any kind of rookie jitters. They kind of understand the game, right? They just need an opportunity. So credit to Miami for finding those guys, but they could do it. You're right, Jordy. I'm not going to write them off a fourth time. I'm not going to make that mistake. But, look, I don't know how, if you're coached, though, you're going to slow down Jokic, a Denver team that has been by far the best in the playoffs, right? I mean, they've had three losses, and two of those came to an unstoppable Devin Booker, whose sidekick was a 30-plus point scorer, Kevin Durant. 
But we'll see. That's why they play the games. Yeah, I, I hope that every other team is watching this because I think both Denver and Miami in different ways play a beautiful brand of basketball. And one thing they all have in common is that nobody's standing still. Nobody's watching somebody pound the basketball. That ball is moving side to side, inside, outside. That's what did Boston in, right? They just became, okay, I'm just going to bounce it. I'm going to do my own thing and, and try and be the hero. Miami and Denver, they, I mean, their best players share the basketball. They know they're going to get it back. They share the ball. They get it back. They, it's a beautiful game the way these two teams play offensively. Right. That's what Boston was infuriating. They didn't value possessions. Some no. games they did, other games they didn't, or even within games. You can't have Jalen Brown, who's not really known as a three-point scorer, coming down in a game that he's cold. They need buckets and throwing up heat checks when he's not even yeah. warm. It just it yeah. mystified me. Marcus Smart, others making these, these plays that were just, like I said, they were not playing within themselves, the system. And that's why you love Miami. That's why you love Denver. And I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup. You know Coach Spo, probably the best defensive mind out there in today's game and yep. Denver they might be the best offense right because they've got Jokic yep. who's yeah again I don't know how they're going to slow him down we know oh, that yeah. Bam Adebayo is great but the way I look at it Anthony Davis wasn't able to slow down Jokic really at all so I don't know how you can expect Bam to so coach is going to have to come up with what throwing in a lot of zone mixing it up all the time and then they're going to have to get those key contributions from everybody else but like you said they play that team game, they're going to have a chance because they'll keep those t turnovers under 10. The ball will find the right hand, especially when the, the clock is ticking, right, the shot clock. And that's why, yeah. yeah, I think we're going to enjoy this series. There's not going to be any of that helter-skelter throwing away some games like the Celtics did. I love it. I, they both play well. Uh, bring on a Caleb Martin. There's a guy who's in the G League a <laughs> couple of years ago, and now he's a star in the playoffs. Develop them, groom them. Come on, Trey Murph, Trey Murph, that's you, baby. That is you. You can. You never went to the G League, but that is you. Um, there's a GM out there now uh, since Warriors President General Manager Bob Myers stepped down. He's got quite the resume. Um, I don't think if he wants to get back in the game, I don't think it's going to take long. Uh, Gail Benson, you want to have co-GMs or something? Bob Myers, pretty good. Yeah, that, that's my, the biggest takeaway for me today. Did we just see the Warriors dynasty end? Because, look, Bob Myers, he was the architect, and he was extremely yeah. close to Steph, Clay, and even yeah. Steve Kerr and Draymond. With him stepping down, it signals to me that I think they're going to turn the page. He obviously could have gotten any kind of check he wanted. He reportedly, you know, about, I want to say around January, was asking for maximum money because he wasn't the highest paid GM at the time. There was about six, seven, eight more highly paid executives around the league. So that was an issue for him. But from what we hear, the Warriors are going to write him any kind of check he wanted, but he still turned it down. So like I said, are we going to see some kind of you know exodus, right? Or are they going to move on from Draymond or maybe Clay, Jordan Poole, probably at the least, because that tax bill is looming. So I'm very curious to right. see what happens. You know Steph's probably going to be there for the rest of his career, but as for everybody else, now it's completely up in the air. All right, who you got winning this thing, and how many games? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm 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 going to pick Denver in six. Denver, I was going to say the same exact thing. Great minds think alike, and uh, 
Awesome. All right. Well, your dog's well-behaved. I hope the storm doesn't act up and uh, if there is one coming, but always fun talking with you. And we got a couple of games coming up, so maybe we can uh, get back on schedule and do it again next week. Absolutely, Jordy James. This is always fun, right? The NBA playoffs, even if the Pelicans aren't in it, because then it allows us to daydream about what the Pelicans could potentially be, uh, right? If the puzzle pieces fit. Hopefully they will, right, next season. Yeah, that's right. I thought you were going to say it's just fun talking to us, but I got you. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Ali Cassell. That's always in my heart. At the bird right. You're the best. Enjoy uh, the finals, my friend, and thank you for your time. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Have the rest of your uh, day. We'll be a good a quick one. time out here. We'll come back. Um, Bob Rose, Saints News Network, NFL time. Next. The Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Boring man cave yet. Well, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Bordelon's Furniture, a flat-screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. It's time for Jordy to march into some New Orleans Saints talk with Saints News Network's Bob Rose. Here is the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the NFL news never, ever stops. What's the ideal fit for DeAndre Hopkins? He wants a lot of money. Nobody wants to spend it. Jimmy Garoppolo signed a waiver for his... uh, foot injury, and so many other things out there. But Bob Rose of the Saints News Network has got all the skinny on the Saints and everything else, and he joins us now. Robert, good afternoon, my friend. Good afternoon, Jordy. I hope uh, you and your family had a terrific holiday weekend. We did. How about you? Oh, we did. We did. The pools opened up. I took the little guy up, uh, you know, and we spent the weekend just chilling out and doing literally nothing except hanging out by the water. Oh, it's, that's the best, right? That's the best. Okay, let's see. Um, Saints talk. Let's see. We had one little mini camp uh, OTA underway and completed. And what we found out that uh, Saints coach Dennis Allen said that a visit with former Las Vegas Raider coach John Wood, uh, John Gruden uh, came on board since he knows all about Derek Carr and the Saints were picking Gruden's brain. How about that? You know, and I know that that initially surprised a lot of people, uh, and you know, truthfully, because of the things that John Gruden, John Gruden has uh, been involved with in the last couple of years, it's not a great-looking PR move. But this is something that New Orleans has done before. Uh, you know, Gruden has has paid several visits, as a matter of fact, over the years to Saints training camp. Uh, you know, when Sean Payton was the coach, yeah, he, uh, you know, uh, John and Sean are uh, uh, pretty close. But like Dennis Allen pointed out uh, yeah, this afternoon, Gruden 
was Carr's coach for a couple of years there. Uh, you know, and, you know, you can point out that Carr had his statistically had his best production with Gruden as his head coach. So it doesn't hurt to bring the man in and pick his brain. It's my understanding that Gruden was you know, met with team, the team or team officials for over five hours, uh, which is a little, a little bit mind boggling to me. There's not too many people that I could sit down and have a five and a half hour conversation with that. I don't know about you, Jordy. Uh, but again, yeah, I know it doesn't look great for, uh, from a PR aspect, but they're not bringing this guy into, you know, to be a coach or anything like that. Uh, you know, he's an experienced NFL offensive mind. Uh, and I, I personally think that it could do no harm. Uh, you know, you find out what, uh, a little bit more about what Derek Carr likes, uh, you know, to run game plan wise, how he responds best during game day situations, things like that. So, you know, so again, I just, I, I don't see any harm in, in, in doing this whatsoever. Yeah. You have nothing to lose, right? I mean, Derek Carr had his best statistical seasons when Gruden was his coach. So, hey, what kind of plays – what did you see um, and what plays did you install that best utilized his talents? Why not? I mean, that just makes sense to me. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you know, obviously you're going to talk to the quarterback also and uh, and get his his own input. Uh, you know, but sometimes it's much better to get an outside you know, an outsider's point of view. Uh, yeah, and like you said, you know, Gruden worked worked with this guy, designed offenses to suit this guy's talents the best. And you know, statistically, it worked out pretty well for Derek Carr and John Gruden during their pairing together. So you know, we nobody should expect the Saints to completely overhaul their offense. That's not why they signed Derek Carr in the first place. They believe that Carr is the you know has the best physical and mental fit for for the system that they want to run. They just want to tweak that system. That's all. Bob Rose Saints News Network. Um, another OTA uh, started today. Uh, 14 players were not there. Um, Taysom Hill, Traquan Smith, Michael Thomas, Bradley Roby, Marshawn Lattimore, Lonnie Johnson Jr., Paulson Adebo, Tyron Matthew, Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchick, James Hurst, Andrews Pete, James Shepard, and Nathan, uh, James Washington, and Nathan Shepard. Uh, it was good to see Demario Davis and JT Gray. Uh, back in the mix. I don't think these veterans have to be at all these O2As, OTAs, but I think it's nice that they go to at least one of the three. Um, and, and I think that's the way this is going to work. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. Uh, you know, and like you said, there, there's no reason for uh, you know, for the established veterans in particular uh, you know, to go to these things. It's nice that they make appearances. It's nice that they have input. Uh, but even the ones that are there, or you know, when they when the veterans do come, they're doing so so little on field work because you don't want to take any unnecessary chances. Every single year, we see it throughout the league. Uh, you know that, it, that a team or a couple teams lose different players because of freak injury or something like this uh you know marshawn Lattimore, demario davis alvin Kamara, you know etc they don't need ota work uh you know as long as they're healthy and in shape for training camp that's all you ask of these guys uh now it's guys like james washington Trey Quan smith guys like that guys that are 
at least according to our view, going to be on the roster bubble going into and throughout training camp. A little bit interesting mm-hmm. that they're not there. Uh, but you know, more often than not, these guys have their reasons. Uh, you know, it's you know, maybe family related. Uh, you know, a couple of these guys are still you know, nursing uh, and rehabbing from injuries or surgery, so they just want to take it easy. Uh, you know, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not concerned with you. I'm not concerned at all uh, about the guys that aren't there uh, at the beginning of this week. What I do like is, according to your partner and our friend, Mr. John Hendricks, he said Rashid Shahid um, stole the show uh, in this one, catching a one-hander from Derek Carr with Alante Taylor working against him. And then on another one, in team drills, Carr hit him deep working against Isaac Yeodum and JT Gray. So he found the soft spot in the coverage and made the grab. Uh, it's nice to see, you know, what Chris Olave's going to do. They, he's been impressive, impressive as well. But Shahid is making a strong case. I don't care who you bring in. You're not taking my place. Yeah, and that's the sense that I get as well. And I've had conversations with different people, uh, you know, that, that can see they believe that Rashid Shaheed is probably going to be a number four or number five wideout on this team. I'm like, yeah, whoa, wait a minute. You must not have seen this guy play last year. He's more than just an explosive deep threat uh, and a dynamic open field runner. This kid can run very precise routes. That's what I took away from Rashid Shaheed's rookie year was I was surprised at how precise a route runner he is. And I think that he is going to be have a major, major role in this New Orleans offense. No, you're right. He's not going to be the number one wideout, uh, assuming Michael Thomas stays healthy, and I'm knocking on wood as I say that. Uh, He's not going to be the number two wideout. Uh, But he could be one whale of a number three receiver. And based off of what we saw from him as a rookie, uh, like I said, yeah, he already has, he's already an explosive and dynamic open field player. Uh, but if he could develop his route running just a little bit more, the trio of Alave, Shahid, Michael Thomas to go along with Foster Moreau, Alvin Kamara out of the backfield and Jawan Johnson, man, that is, Derek Carr has got to be going to sleep every night with a big old, big old smile on his face. Um, yes, and according to John Hendricks, he says, I quote, I really love the zip on Jake Hayner's throws. We talk a lot about arm strength and zip. Hayner has it. I never got as much of that with Ian Book. So maybe the Saints got a steal here. Hey, they could. And, you know, you and I have talked about Jay Kaner before. I love this kid's mechanics when, you know, when I watch his tape uh, out of Fresno State. And, you know, no, he doesn't have a, you know, a John Elway uh, type of arm. Uh, you know, he's not going to be able to throw a marshmallow through, through a brick wall, but he gets rid of the ball quickly. He has a good arm, uh, a good enough arm to make all the necessary NFL throws. Uh, you know, and he has the arm strength and the zip on the ball to get that pass into tight quarters, which is something that NFL. NFL quarterbacks obviously have to do to have any kind of success. Uh, I, uh, I didn't care for the Ian Book pick a couple of years ago. It didn't make much sense to me. Uh, but I, I, like I always say, I'm not the one making the pick. Uh, yeah. But this Jay Kaner pick, I think I think he could. He has the potential to, to develop into a very good NFL quarterback. Bob Rose, Saints News Network on the coaching front. Um, Jari Evans, Cesar Ruiz, we're talking a good bit during drills. Evans, of course, the assistant to Doug Marone. 
Uh, and Joe Joe Woods apparently, boy, he is um, he doesn't just observe the secondary; he's very hands on <laughs> with the defensive backs, and I like that in a coach. So I think the Saints uh, made some good hires, and that's going to be key. You've got a whole bunch of new coaches involved in this system, um, and we'll see how they acclimate to the players and how the players acclimate to them. Yeah, Jordy, and you're spot on. And I think these, you know, these OTAs are honestly more important for the coaches than they are the players for that reason. Uh, you have basically an entirely new defensive staff. Uh, you know, and when you couple that with your head coach being a defensive guy that's still probably going to call the plays, you need all those guys to get on the same page very, very quickly. Uh, and, you know, Jari Evans, uh, you know, th- this is going to be a very important tutorial, uh, uh, tutoring role for him or to learn under uh, you know, the, the tutelage of Doug Marone, who is one of the finest offensive line coaches in the NFL. Uh, we saw Zach Streif pick up enough from Coach Marone to earn himself a, a promotion uh, you know, with Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos. And you know, everybody is wondering, was this a fluke that we saw from Cesar Ruiz, or is this a legitimately developing player? Uh, we're going to find out real quick. And uh, you know, Jari Evans is going to be very hands-on working with these young linemen, not only Ruiz, uh, you know, but Trevor Penning, uh, you know, Saldaberry, the, uh, the fourth-round pick from Old Dominion. Uh, you know, so, you know, Jari Evans, you, you can't learn from anybody better than Jari Evans, that's for sure. And the defensive guys, I've always been a fan of Joe Woods as a defensive coordinator and, the, and a defensive coach. And like Dennis Allen, his specialty is the defensive backfield. And there's already a lot of talent back there. Uh, you know, I look for, you know, for Woods and new, new defensive backs coach Marcus Robertson uh, you know, to coach up a very aggressive unit. Uh, I would be shocked if we didn't see loads more turnovers from that position group than what we saw in 2022. Okay, uh, let's take a quick time out here. That's the latest on the Saints with their second uh, OTA, um, day one of it uh, in the books today. Um, so that's the latest on that. We'll go around the NFL. Um, DeAndre Hopkins. Does anybody want him? Does anybody want to pay him? We'll get Bob's uh, answer to that when we return to the Black and Gold Report. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You want to go out for a nice dinner, but you're low on cash? Not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and help you with those date night blues. As a member of our rewards club, we'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Takehouse. How about a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen? They're both located at the Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. Now, you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look mouth. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We are back. Part two, Black and Gold Report with our good friend from the Saints News Network, the great Bob Rose, who's um, kind enough to join us each and every Tuesday. It's a, it's a fun part of our week for sure. Um, on Friday, Bob, 
The Arizona Cardinals released DeAndre Hopkins, $19.45 million salary, though not guaranteed, prohibitive. They tried to ship him. They tried to let him talk to other teams. Nobody wants to pay him that money. The Saints are a team out there, Bob Rose, that has some money in the coffers, about uh, $13.6 million that they've got. Derek Carr, hmm, Hopkins, he, he's, he's played in a warm weather climate. He's played in a dome at Houston. Would the Saints kick the can and be interested in a DeAndre Hopkins, not knowing in light of Michael Thomas's durability concerns? Jordy, I tell you, it'd be awful tempting. And, yeah, I do believe that the Saints at least pick up the phone and and speak with DeAndre Hopkins and his representatives. Uh, This is a very, very good receiver, one of the better ones in the National Football League. Uh, I know know, people people have been a little bit critical of DeAndre last year and coming out of last year, pointing out uh, his uh, statistical decline. Uh, But take a closer look. The Cardinals had all kinds of offense offensive issues last year, especially at the quarterback position. There was nobody reliable to get the hop the ball. Uh, also, he was coming off of a, 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 I don't remember if it was a six or an eight game PED suspension from the league. Right. Uh, you know, so he just, he didn't play, he wasn't as a, a, available in as many games, but make no mistake. This is still a very good wide receiver and he'll get paid from someone. He's not going to get paid 19.4 million. I can guarantee right. you that. Uh, you know, because of his age, um, because of, I mean, you know, he's, he's one PED strike away from a year long suspension. So that plays a factor in these contract negotiations. But I think if you're the Saints, you at least make the call. Uh, personally, I can't ultimately see it happening. And the reason is this. If you have confidence that Michael Thomas is going to rebound and at least be close to the version that we saw in 2018 and 2019, uh, you already have Salave, you and I have spoken glowing terms about Rashid Shahid as recently as a segment ago. Uh, there's only so many footballs to go around. And you know, Hopkins, just like Michael Thomas, they're in that small group of receivers that you design your offense around. And you know, you, you can't have too many of uh, too many guys like that on your offensive end. So, like I said, if the Saints have any confidence that Michael Thomas is going to you know, rebound fairly well, I don't think you ultimately make that move. But I still believe that if uh, if you your New Orleans, uh, you know, at least make the call. You figure out what uh, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins wants or expects. Maybe he comes in on a one year mercenary deal. Uh, maybe he wants a long term deal. Uh, we don't know. You know, not, nothing. Nothing has been reported from Hopkins' camp as far as you know, which end of the spectrum he lies on. Uh, but we've already seen the you know, New Orleans Saints be extremely aggressive this off season. Uh, you know, offensively, they brought in several weapons uh, to complement what they already have and to surround Derek Carr. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins would certainly be another major quiver uh, or arrow to go in that uh, quiver of weapons for the Saints. That's for sure. I got to believe if he's going to do a one-year mercenary thing, maybe the place to go is to the New York Jets because they they, yeah. they came very close to signing Odell Beckham Jr. before the Ravens topped their offer. So maybe Aaron Rodgers and uh, DeAndre Hopkins, maybe they can make something work for a year. But he's certainly at 31 now. He doesn't have as much wear and tear 
because he did have an injury in 21, but and as you said, he had that uh, that PED issue that took him out of a bunch of games in 22. So you know, less wear and tear. Maybe he's got a good year or two left in him. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, but I'm like you. I I, I see him ultimately leaning towards. Uh, towards wanting to play with a quote-unquote elite quarterback. Uh, many people still view Aaron Rodgers as that. Uh, and there's a lot of reports coming out that Hopkins may end up with Buffalo or Kansas City. Uh, you know, they certainly have elite quarterbacks and uh, you know, a desire to give those quarterbacks additional weapons. Uh, so I can ultimately see DeAndre Hopkins landing. Part. I'm, if I had to make a prediction today, I'm going to say Kansas City. Um, but I think one of those AFC, team, AFC teams are going to be uh, full full steam ahead, trying to get DeAndre Hopkins. Be it the Jets uh, behind there, you know, for Aaron Rodgers, like you pointed out, uh, Buffalo with Josh Allen or Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. I, I think De, uh, DeAndre Hopkins will end up one of those three places. Bob Rose, Saint Stu's Network, with us. You're a fan of the game. Um, what's your what's mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the NFL and? and their new, their flex scheduling concept? Uh, I hate it. <laughs> I, I hate it. Uh, I don't mind. I, I don't mind the Sunday flexes um, because you have to, I, I try to look at it from a fan's uh, perspective too. Uh, right. Especially if you're an out of town fan, uh, you know, traveling in to see your favorite team play a game. Uh, how it, how are you going to feel if you know, a week before, and when, you know, after you've already made your travel plans, usually you know, multiple weeks in advance, then the NFL says, oh, your team is not going to play Sunday at 1 o'clock anymore. It's going to be Thursday at 8 o'clock uh, or, or vice versa. Um, you know, plus that puts, uh, you know, looking at it from a coach's and a player's perspective too. Uh, you know, again, you know, when, they change, when they flex games out or move games around on the schedule, it's usually weeks in advance. But – Coaches especially are uh, are such creatures of habit in outlining their preparations, especially on away games. Uh, and I just for for that reason, I just I've never been a big fan of it. I, it to me, you know, flex a Sunday game that's no big deal. You're only talking about a difference of a few hours. Uh, but when you're talking, you know, when you're switching days altogether, to me that's just a big big problem. Uh, you know, and that that doesn't allow the players and the coaches to prepare how they normally would yeah i'm with you bob rose saints news network you know um i just thought about this um how much pressure is there on the saints this year to do what because look they they're all in they kick the can down the road they keep kicking it Uh, they were the oldest team in the league a year ago drew Brees, sean payton they're gone if the saints have another one of those type of years like they had last year and the and the year before that do they finally start the difficult process of rebuilding and moving on from some of their veterans start to clear out cap space and start to plan maybe maybe take a dive you know maybe get hurt for a couple more years and then build this thing up is are we at that point with this franchise uh they'll never admit it jordy 
Uh, and you know, they're, they're just they're too competitive. The franchise as a whole is just too competitive to admit it outwardly. But I do think that if we see another disappointing season, uh, you know, like we have, especially last year, uh, where we would certainly see a new head coach, we would certainly see probably an entirely new coaching staff, uh, you know, especially on the offensive side. Uh, you know, veteran favorites, legends like Demario Davis, Cam Jordan, guys that they have been kicking the can down the road on. Uh, you know, the end of their career is a heck of a lot closer than the beginning. So, yeah, I do think that they take the salary cap hit for a year or two with those guys and just bite that bullet and move on. Uh, you know, we've seen them. Uh, you know, they, I thought they had a wonderful draft last year. Uh, it looks like on paper that they filled all the holes that they wanted to fill with the draft this year. Uh, make no mistake. This team feels like they can still compete for a championship. That's why they were so aggressive this offseason. But if they swing and miss again, uh, especially if it winds up in a missed playoff year, you're going to – you're not going to see a wholesale rebuild, but you are going to see massive, massive changes both in uh, in the player personnel and certainly in the coaching staff. Sam Jordan deserves to be a saint and retire as a saint, doesn't he? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but we've seen things. Uh, uh, sometimes things change. Uh, that's my favorite. That's my favorite saying this time of year. Uh, Ricky Jackson certainly deserved to ring, uh, win a ring with the New Orleans Boy. Saints. Certainly deserved to finish his career with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, that's just that's the best example that come to mind from a New Orleans Saints perspective. Uh, you know, in, in in regards to conversations about Cam, and yeah, I know for a fact that Cam wants to finish his career in New Orleans. He loves the franchise. He loves his teammates. He loves the area. It's his home. But sometimes things change, uh, and that. Yeah. I think that above all else would be the most heartbreaking thing if the New Orleans Saints had another disappointing season like we just spoke about and they moved on from guys like Cam. Because Cam can still play. Uh, unless something unusual has happened in the last month, uh, you know, the last time we saw him take the field, he was he, – he, he shows very, very little decline with me. And you know, I think it would leave a sour taste in a lot of fans' mouths if he ended up going somewhere else and having success, especially if he won a championship. I want him to get a, that Super Bowl ring so badly, but I also want it to happen while he's a New Orleans Saint. And I think if you ask the players, too, and I, you know, Ricky has said this, yeah, the Super Bowl ring that he won with the San Francisco 49ers meant a lot to him, and he, ne- he didn't use the word, he would never use the word tainted, but I think it would have meant the absolute universe t- to Ricky if he and that Dome Patrol squad would have managed to win the championship instead of him having to go to San Francisco to do it. I put Cam in that same category, and I believe that Cam feels, you know, would feel a similar way. Heck, maybe Andrus Pete survives another year. I never thought he'd be here this long. <laughs> I know he took a reduced salary, but how that man keeps, I don't know what they see in him. He hasn't been good. He hasn't been healthy over the past two years, and yet here he is still in the lineup. Yeah, I, yeah, and I, as far as what they see in him, they they see a talented player when he's in the lineup, but Jordy, that's so that happens so little now. Uh, really, yeah. it, it's happened so little throughout his career, and 
I, I do think that we saw the team finally take steps to ready themselves to move on from Pete. Not only did they did they rework his deal just so he'd be back in New Orleans this year, uh, but yeah. we also saw them draft his potential replacement in Mexal Devery. Uh, you know, we we've seen them bring in a couple of free agents over the last couple of years. This offseason in particular, guys like Storm Norton. Uh, they have a guy like James Hurst who could start inside. Frankly, is probably a better you know, guard than he is a tackle with Hurst. So yeah, they they are preparing themselves to move on from Pete. But they had their opportunity to do it with a fairly small salary cap hit this offseason. And they didn't. So that that's kind of a that's one of the bigger head scratchers of the Saints offseason for me. Bob Rose, I can't thank you enough. I'll leave you with this one parting thought. Jimmy Garoppolo once again battling injury concerns. Tom mm-hmm. Brady is a uh, prospective team stakeholder in Vegas. He could come out of retirement yet again. Bob, thank you for your time. The beat goes on. Enjoy the week, my friend. <laughs> You too, my friend. That's a great mic drop. We'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll be back to wrap it all up. Tom Brady with the silver and black. Oh, my gosh. Um, Final thoughts, some birthday wishes next. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. And uh, ShopRite, Tobacco Plus discount outlets. If you can't shop right at ShopRite, you can't shop right at all. By Ducks, Cleaning America's Air from the Inside Out. By Eon of Lafayette, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville, the premier touchless robotic laser body contouring device that helps you lose those unwanted inches along with permanent fat reduction. By the Louisiana Lottery, so many opportunities to win, but you can't win till you start playing. D.C.'s Little Capital Exxon with their true soul food deli. Best cheeseburger ever. And by Cajun Chef, do yourself a flavor. Turn up the taste with Cajun Chef hot sauce. Here's three pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a steak. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our special thanks to our guest today, Ben McDonald, on the NCAA Baseball Tournament, Adam Spencer on the SEC Spring Meetings, Ali Cassell with the NBA Finals Preview, and Bob Rose, all things Saints and the NFL. If today, May 30th, is your birthday, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. You share with a couple of hoops coaches. Uh, he won two national championships as the head coach of the Florida Gators, now coaching a long time in the NBA, first at Oklahoma City, now with Chicago. Billy the Kid, Billy Donovan, is 58 and known more, unfortunately, for being uh, choked by one of his players, Latrell Sprewell, P.J. Carlissimo, television and radio announcer, is 74 years old today. Tomorrow, more on the, the regionals in Baton Rouge and Miami with the Cajuns heading down to Coral Gables. Um, Mike Huguenin will join us more on the SEC spring meetings and who knows what else. James Mesh, thank you so much for your help all day. Thanks to all of you for listening in whatever form or fashion that you do. Thank you, partners. We couldn't do without you. Come on back tomorrow. Same time. Until then, I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty. Be kind. Be, be healthy.